Good morning. Keep your Bibles open there and um, we'll go through Genesis chapter 3. Wonderful chapter that it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for our time together this morning. We thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for all the good things that you have done for us and, and for the way that you provide for us. Lord, now as we go through this chapter, I pray that we would, would see your hand at work within even the, the saddest chapter of the Bible. I pray that there would be a real sense of your presence here this morning and that you would speak to each one of us individually and corporately. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not proud of this statistic. 90% of parents lie to their children. We tell lies to our kids in order to get them to do something, uh, call it a form of bribery perhaps. We tell lies like, this particular person, this is not me, this particular person says, I tell my kids that when the ice cream truck is playing its song, it means it's out of ice cream. (laughs) What about this one? I have my five-year-old and seven-year-old and eight-year-old daughter, this is not me again, convinced that the smoke detectors in the house are actually Santa cams and he's watching in every room. This one is my favourite. We tell our son he'll have to drive a little smart car if he doesn't eat his vegetables because he'll be too little for a normal sized car. (laughs) And this one, I tell my son that when he lies a red dot appears on his forehead that only his parents can see and it only goes away when he tells the truth. What happens when we lie? What happens when we get found out that we're lying? Whether it's parents telling lies to their kids or or kids telling lies to their parents or, or lies just in general, what happens when we get found out? The end result is that trust is broken. Relationships are destroyed and there's there's a separation, a breaking of relationship, sometimes shattered completely. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter 3, the main point of this morning's message. If you don't get anything out of this message, get this one thing, that sin breaks relationships. As we work through Genesis chapter 3 and we're, we're looking at the origins uh, in Genesis, we see the origin of sin. And we see Satan uttering the very first lie in history. But before that lie, there's that sense of, of doubt that he places in Eve's mind. Have a look at, at verse 1. Verse 1, he says to the woman, Did God actually say that? Did God really say that? Stop for a moment. I wish that Eve's response here was, 
a talking snake. Adam, come and bring the shovel. Come and kill this snake, please. Eve, Eve didn't even realise that God's word was being attacked. The seed of doubt was being placed in her mind. And Satan was being so subtle, he was introducing the thought that God's word was subject to Eve's judgment. And he still does that today with us, doesn't he? He uses this phrase of, did God really say that? God gives us promises like he makes us children of God through Jesus Christ. And yet Satan's response is, did God really say that? I mean, you couldn't be a child of God because look at your sin and the struggles that you have. God makes promises like, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And when we start to doubt whether God's with us or not, Satan whispers, see, God's abandoned you again. And he uses this phrase of, did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Did God really say or did God really create the earth in six days? Did God really say, dot, 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 fill in the blank, His approach is always negative. He casts doubt on the validity of God's word and God's promises. And we as Christians, as as followers of Jesus Christ, need to recognise that. We need to stand on the validity of God's word, the truth of God's word, and ignore those doubts that Satan puts in our mind to trust God at his word. Unfortunately, Eve accepted this doubt and she began to question God's word. And in one breath, Eve diminishes God's word. She adds to God's word and she softens God's word. Have a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, but... If you've got your Bibles there, it's just a a small jump to to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. God's word here says, verse 16 in chapter 2, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Have a look at Eve's response, what she actually says, reflecting God's words in in verse 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. See, she diminishes God's word by saying that they may eat of of the fruit of the trees of the garden instead of saying every tree of the garden. She diminishes God's provision for them. God wasn't holding anything back from them. 
And then she adds to God's word by adding, neither shall you touch it, neither shall you touch this tree. As if God was a a God who was reigning in terror. If she touches the tree, fire and brimstone was going to come down from heaven. And No, God's not like that. She also softens God's word saying, lest you die, rather than saying, for on that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, it's important for us as as knowers of God's word to know it to the letter so that we can can extinguish the darts of the of the flaming arrows of the evil one this next step is verses 4 and 5 is where the lie comes in satan responds in his hissy little voice you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil Satan says nah you'll be right it's because God wants to control you that he's telling you not to eat of this tree it's because God doesn't want you to be like him that he's told you not to eat of this tree. It's because God's trying to make you afraid of him. It's because God's trying to hold back something from you. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 8, verses 44, as he slams the Pharisees and, and describes the devil. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Satan is a liar. Satan is the the cause of doubt, and he is a liar. The doubt was placed firmly in Eve's mind, and she believed this lie. But the doubt, nor the, nor the lie, was what caused Eve to sin, along with Adam, who was also there. Eve sinned, not by taking and eating of the fruit, but, but by going against God's word, by disobeying God, and deciding for herself what she thought was good, therefore placing herself in God's rightful place. You see, remove, removing God out of the picture and going against what God says is good is what we do when we sin. Instead of God's word guiding us to what is good, we say, I'll choose. I'll choose what I think is good. And when we sin, we place ourselves above God. We say that I'll choose what is good. I'll be my own God. When we sin, we lose trust in God and being the provider of all things good. And we decide what is good. 
Do you notice the theme here? Genesis 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Until now, in the first three chapters of the book of the Bible, the one who had stated who, uh, what was good and who had decided what was good was God. You notice the, the theme in, in chapter 1 was God saw that it was good. Now in Genesis 3 we ha- see Eve saying, I see that the tree is good and I'll take it. Each of us have done exactly the same thing. When we sin, we see something that we desire and we say, yes, that's good for me. We push God out of the picture. We say, no, I'll decide what is is good for me. David Atkinson says that the way of rebellion puts immediate pleasure in front of possible consequences and it sets our own perceptions of what is good for us against what God has told us about ourselves and our world. Sin is the name given to that separation from God which begins with the abandonment of trust in God's goodness and God's love. In three short chapters of the Bible, everything was perfect up until this point. Sin has been committed. Eve knew about good prior to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, it's, it's not the woman's fault. I'll get that clear. Adam and Eve knew about good up until Genesis 3. Now they know about good and evil. And we as humankind have been paying for it ever since. Not that it's it's Adam and Eve's fault for our sin. Each of us are responsible for our own sin. But what happens as a result of this sin is that we are separated from God's presence. Just as Adam and Eve were separated from God. Look at verse 24. He, being God, drove out the man at the, and at the east of the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God sent him out of the garden. God sent mankind out of the garden and out of his presence. And there's a ripping of that relationship. Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with him in the cool of the afternoon. 
And now because of sin, there's a tear, there's a break, there's a shattering of this relationship. They could no longer be in God's presence in the same way that they had been. And when each of us sin, we cause a break in the relationship with our Creator as well. The consequences of Adam and Eve's sin was that they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. The consequences of our sin is that, that we no longer, that we don't have that constant presence with God. Not only do our relationships with God suffer, but our relationships with others suffer as well. You can see here in in Genesis 3 that that pain was increased in childbirth. Gathering food was harder because of the curse of sin. And Adam and Eve's relationship was never the same either. Our own relationships suffer because of sin. Marriages suffer because of sin. Husbands and wives being selfish, ungrateful, unfaithful, angry with each other. Relationships between parents and their children suffer because of sin. Relationships between people in churches, people in the world, anywhere. And quite often there's a break in those relationships. There's a separation involved. There is nothing good that comes as a result of sin. Nothing. Regardless of what Satan tries to get us to believe. It only causes broken relationships and pain and suffering and separation from God. The biggest thing that it causes is death. I don't know whether Adam and Eve were set to live forever in the Garden of Eden. They only made it to two chapters, three. The thing that they knew about before chapter three was was only good. Now they knew about good and evil. Now they knew about death. Adam was told that he would return to the dust because he came from the dust. He was going to die all because of their sin. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. See, God was right. Once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were going to die. Not on that exact day, but they would surely die, he said. This would have to be the saddest chapter in the whole of the Bible, wouldn't it? Up until now, man and woman knew only good. And yet because of their sin, they've, they've lost everything. Everything is broken. There's only curse, a curse on this earth. But there is hope here. There is hope here. 
One of the things that we see in verse 21, and I'll read it to you. Verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Animal skins. God makes garments of, of skin from animals and pre-describes the sacrificial system that will be outlined with Israel later on down the track. He covers over their sin and covers over their nakedness by the sacred sacrifice of animals. You see, in order for there to be the covering of sin or the forgiveness of sin, there must be the shedding of blood. I'm not sure whether this means that their sins were completely covered by the sacrifice of animals because our sin desires a much greater sacrifice than that. But here's the real solution. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God talking to the serpent. Between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Another word for offspring there is seed. This is called the the proto-gospel, the announcement of the beginning of salvation history, the announcement of the Messiah to come. The one who is the seed of the woman or the offspring would crush Satan's head. Isn't that good news? Genesis traces that offspring, that seed, down from Adam to Seth, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and to Judah. The rest of the Bible traces Judah's line all the way through King David and then to Joseph and of course Jesus. John chapter 14 verse 6 says that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. The way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the one who has crushed Satan's head. Paradise was lost through Adam and Eve being tempted in the Garden of Eden. Tempted with food. And yet Jesus demonstrates his power over Satan by being tempted in the wilderness after he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know how he did it because I find it hard to do 40 hours. But look at the similarities there. Paradise is lost with the temptation of of Adam and Eve in the garden with food. And yet Jesus demonstrates his power over Satan through the temptation of in the wilderness with food. Yet he was able to resist the devil. Jesus was tempted with authority over all the earth and to become just like God, just in the same way that Adam and Eve were. And yet he was able to resist the devil and tell him to get lost. And through his death on the cross and his, 
and his resurrection, he paid the penalty for our sins. He crushed Satan's head. He brings us new life with him through the the resurrection. This new life involves eternal life, not death. Eternal life with God where it'll be, where this world will be transformed back into its former glory, its former perfection. Where paradise will again be here on the earth. Can I get a smile or an amen or something? That is good news. Just in a moment we're going to come around the communion table where we remember that sacrifice that was made in order to save us from our sins, in order to to bring us back to God, in order for us to be able to commune with God. But I want to give you time to examine yourself. If there is sin in your life, if there is struggle with temptation, I invite you to spend some time quietly speaking with God. If you desire prayer, please come forward for it. Or speak with someone who's sitting with you. If you need forgiveness, ask that before participating in this table. If you need restoration with relationships, whether with God or with anyone here in this room, do that before you be involved in this. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Let a person examine him or herself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If we eat of this table and drink from this table without acknowledging our need for Jesus, without acknowledging the the fact that we have sin in our lives. We eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And yet, if we ask God for forgiveness, if we confess our sins to him and turn to him, he is faithful, he is just. He is trustworthy to forgive us our sins. I invite the um, stewards to come forward. And because John Clarkson isn't here this morning, that probably means seven random men, please. I want to give you the time to, to, um, to quietly speak with God. As the emblems are handed out, I ask that you take the bread in your own time but but hang on to the cup and we'll drink together as a sign of unity. This bread and this cup symbolises Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us. to bring us back to God, to save us from our sins, of all of which we need saving, all of us. Don't take this lightly, folks. 
sin is serious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we want to say that we're sorry. Each of us have have turned to our own way and and forsaken you. We've said that that I'll choose what's good for me in spite of what God of what you desire. Lord, we confess our sins to you this morning. We ask that you would forgive us. We thank you for for the hope that is outlined in Genesis chapter 3, even in the midst of darkness and sin. We thank you for Jesus. And now, Lord, as we come around this table, I pray that we would be mindful of the gravity of our sin and yet knowledgeable about the the immensity of your grace. Lord, again, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice that has made it possible for us to know you again, to, to be brought back into a right relationship with you and to know life, to know eternal life. I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts and and continue to minister to to us this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Spend some time now speaking quietly with God as the the emblems are, are passed around.
body broken for you to restore that broken relationship between you and God. And this is his blood that was shed on the cross to wash you clean of your sins, to bring you new new life with him. Don't take this for granted. Drink with me.